So this morning we're continuing our sermon series that, we, that I've called The Cultivated Life, which is a sermon series on helping us to live more anchored to Christ, having deeper roots of faith in our lives, because we know that there's very few things that matter in this life, but the thing that matters the most is our faith and how much we're able to develop that. And so as I was preparing for this sermon series, um, I think there was somewhere like 11 teachings. And as I continue to prepare and I can, and, and over the, you know, as I'm reading throughout the week and I'm having different ideas, there's different things that kept coming up that I said, well, I need to make sure I teach them that. Because this is a sermon series on discipleship. This is a sermon series on what it looks like for you to follow Jesus. And it's not just this deep theological sermons and to show you how much theology I know, because probably I know very little. But what this sermon series is intended to do is to really teach you how to follow the way of Jesus. And we know that the, that the life of faith is one that is cultivated over time. We know that the journey of faith is one where every single day you continue to grow closer and closer to Christ. We know that the journey of faith is one that is like a garden where the flowers take time to bloom. And sometimes our faith takes time to bloom. And so that's what this sermon series is about. And so what I realized is I think the last number on the number of teachings is like 14 or 15 things of what it looks like to truly be a follower of Jesus. And this morning we're going to be looking at part two of this series. And it's titled Pivot, The One Decision that changes everything. Now this morning, in order for you to receive this, this might be one of the more difficult teachings for you to receive. And I'll explain why as I preach through this part. But one of the things that's important is that for this sermon to make sense, last week's sermon you had to have listened to and made sense of. Now it doesn't mean that you have to listen to all of them in a row, but these first two are literally setting the foundation for everything else that follows. So last week we talked about being anchored in Christ. Like the one thing that matters is that Jesus came and died for our sins. He has extended the forgiveness of your sins so that you don't have to face the penalty of eternal separation from God. And so we could consider last week's sermon kind of as the bedrock of our faith. And this morning we're going to be looking at the foundation. The bedrock is always below the foundation of a building. And so this morning we're going to continue to look at what does it look like for this foundation so that we, are, we can have a house or a life of faith that is built on something that is true, that is real, and that is eternal. And so we invite you to go back to last week's teaching. You can listen to it on, on podcast if you prefer audio, and we also have it on video if you just go to our church website, orangesda.org, and we invite you to do that so you can be a part of this conversation that we'll be having over the next three to four months. So let's bow our heads as we jump in. Heavenly Father, you've brought each one of us, including myself, here for a reason. Father, you've brought us here this morning because we know that every single person in this place, whether they are new to the faith or if they have been walking with you for 20 or 30 or 40 years, every one of us needs to hear this message. So it is my prayer that you would prepare the soil of our hearts and that this message would be the seed that continues to grow deep roots and that we would be like a tree that flourishes in and out of season. And that the leaves of our faith would not wither. In the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to show you this picture. I didn't take this, alright? So back in 2011-ish, I forgot to pay my car registration. 
I don't know why. I just did. And what ended up happening is that I got a ticket. I think it was a ticket. And then I got a fine. And then that fine kept going up and up and up and up. So much so that I had a high level of anxiety because I looked at it and I said, I can't afford this. I don't know what to do. So I did some Google search like we all do. And they said, well, if you go to the court and you throw yourself at the mercy of the court, then maybe they'll let you make a payment plan. I said, okay. So I decided, and I think it was in the San Bernardino courthouse or something. I'm not really sure where. But I remember going, and it was 8 o'clock in the morning. It was the first thing on my agenda for the day. So I show up, and as I'm walking to the courthouse from the parking lot, I hear, like, someone talking on the loudspeaker. And I was like, what is going on? So as I get closer and closer, there was a man dressed kind of like I'm dressed right now. He had a little speaker with a microphone attached to it. And he was saying things like, you're guilty of the crime for why you're here this morning. You're also guilty of your sins, but if you repent, God will forgive you and you can have eternal life and enter heaven with him for eternity. And I'm already like on the edge because I'm thinking like, I can't pay this. I hope that, and he's like shouting this message, which I mean, it's true, right? Like we're guilty. We're here at the courthouse. But it was this sense of, like, if you don't repent, then you will be doomed to eternal hell. You will burn forever. I mean, he was giving these images of, like, fear. And now listen, like, as a Seventh-day Adventist, I don't believe in an eternally burning hell. So I wasn't that worried, but he was so convicted. I, had, I thought to myself, like, well, maybe I am going to burn in eternal hell. I mean, I, I really wasn't, you know. Some of you are like, uh-oh, pastor doesn't understand his own theology. No, you know. But, you know, some people are so convicted and so passionate about things that sometimes it makes you think like, huh, maybe they're right. We've all met someone like that. We all have that friend that is convinced about every conspiracy in the world. And then all of a sudden you spend enough time with them and you're like, maybe the earth is flat. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> but this man standing out there, it was, this, it was this message of eternal doom and gloom. It was this message of if you don't turn, you literally will burn. And it was this message, this harsh message of if you don't repent, God cannot wait to come and smite you. Moral of the story is I threw myself at the mercy, because I know you're going to be wondering this whole time. Threw myself at the mercy of the court. He cut it down to like, I only had to pay like one fourth of it. And then he asked if I wanted to make payments. And I said, I would like to pay $20 a month. And he said, that's fine. And so five years later, I paid off my fee. You know, I don't, I don't know. I forgot about it. It was automatic, the withdrawal. You know, it's so funny because on the one hand, someone is telling us that there is no other way. And even just in a very human way, the judge showed this tremendous amount of grace that said, you're here, you've admitted your guilt, you've acknowledged that you are wrong. And even though I had to make a payment, even though there was something that was required of me, it was so much easier than what I thought that I had to do. And so this morning, I want to look at repentance. And then repentance is one of those words, like I said, it is loaded, right? It is loaded with this kind of negative heaviness, this connotation that says, like, if you don't repent, you will literally burn an eternity, and you will be separated from God, and God's going to keep you alive just to punish you for all eternity because you didn't accept his invitation. And so I want to just spend a moment on this. Now, repentance is the one decision that you make in your life that is extremely important 
and carries with it eternal consequences. Now, here's a statistic, and I'm not sure how accurate this is. Some sources say that the average person makes around 35,000 decisions a day. All right, so the average person makes about 35,000 decisions a day. 1,944 of those decisions are done on an hourly basis. Now, most of these decisions and choices you make are small. Should I have cereal or oatmeal or that breakfast sandwich from McDonald's on the way to work this morning? And if I have cereal, should I use almond milk, skim milk, oat milk? Should I put coconut shavings on it? That's how we were raised. Like, we weren't allowed, we weren't allowed sugar in our house in the, when we were kids. But there's like these hundreds, if not thousands, of decisions that you are faced with every single day. 99.9% of them are probably benign and not even that important. Because let's face it, most of the things in our lives aren't really that important. We just give them more importance. But when it comes to repentance, that is the one decision you make in your life that changes the entire course of your days and your eternal destiny. So I want to tell you what repentance is not, first of all. Repentance isn't feeling bad for the sin you committed because you're worried of the natural consequences that are going to follow from it. All right, so feeling bad for something you've done isn't repentance. If you're worried that your husband or your wife is going to find out, or that your boss is going to find out, or that your pastor is going to find out, Right? So a lot of times we do things in our lives, we commit these sins in our lives, and then we feel really bad for them, but it's not because we're grieving the heart of God that we feel bad. We're bad because we're afraid that we're going to be found out. That is not repentance. Now, oftentimes we can ask God for forgiveness when we're in that place. And a lot of the times the reality is, is that if we've done something that we feel is particularly terrible, we do come and we ask for mercy on behalf, you know, mercy um, from God. We ask for the forgiveness of our sins. Many times you will even begin to notice some outward differences in your life. But it's only because you don't want to get caught. And that is not real repentance. You may feel brokenhearted, ashamed, and even sorrowful for your sin. But it's only out of self-preservation. And if that's the case, then that's not true repentance. That is just a self-centered look at self-preservation. In a relationship, if you have someone that does something terrible time and time again, but after every time they've done something terrible, they ask for forgiveness to convince the other person to allow them to stay, do we call that love or do we call that abuse? You see, so much in our lives when we have this relationship with, with God and we commit these sins and we do these things in our life. By the way, some of you who are guests here are just like, man, we didn't come here for this old-time religion. I'm going to tell you, like, it's not old-time religion. Now, I'm going to show you how in a few moments, how it's, it's the very nature of the daily rhythms of our lives. That if we are out of sync with God, really, it's just you being kept from the life that Christ has created for you. And so if you only feel bad because of the bad things you've done because you don't want to be caught, that is not true repentance. So I would say this. Repentance is first and foremost your awareness and acknowledgement of your sinful nature in light of God's perfect nature. So first and foremost, before repentance can even be something that you do. And again, repentance is not something that you should do out of fear 
A lot of these bullhorn preachers will get up on their soapboxes and say, if you don't turn, you'll burn. But we know, and you'll see this in a few moments, that God doesn't take that stance, but rather repentance is an invitation of Jesus to come and follow him. You see, repentance is the awareness that we are actually sinful. How many of you have ever done something in your life or have a sin in your life that like, just keeps creeping back up, and no matter how much you try, you can't kind of like beat that thing and it's like you'll be good for a couple of days. Maybe you'll be good for months or even years. But then like that thing just kind of keeps creeping up. You know, the reason is not that you're necessarily, not that there's something wrong with you. It's just that it's part of our sinful nature. And when you try to you just will yourself to be better, it's really hard for us to continually to will ourselves because we truly need the help of God and his spirit. And so first and foremost, repentance is your awareness and your acknowledgement of your sinful nature in light of God's perfect nature. Here's why that is hard. I think most of us who are here this morning have any kind of knowledge of Christianity would probably say like, okay, we know we're sinners. I forget where I was reading, but recently I was reading something that says that we live in a world where people no longer understand sin and people no longer see themselves as sinners or as having committed sins. Let me break this down for you. We often hear, like, and, and here's one of the things about our society that we live in, is that we don't use the word sin. And oftentimes people will even pray, God help me to be a better person. God help me to be good. And a lot of times what we try to teach is this like moralistic philosophy of being good. There's nothing wrong with wanting to do well. There is nothing wrong with wanting to improve yourself. There's nothing wrong with like taking steps to be a better version of yourself. Like all of that is great. Like Christianity is a part of that. But what's ended up happening over the last 30 or 40 years, probably 30 to 20 years, is that the concept of people as being sinful is no longer relevant. And so there used to be a time, and I remember this, there was a guy on TV who would videotape himself at like the beach or at a mall or whatever, and he would come up to these unsuspecting people, I think they were unsuspecting people, and he would say things like, have you ever lied? Like, you know, he would say something like, if you die today, where would you spend eternity? And they'd be like, oh, I don't know, heaven. And then he would go through this, the Ten Commandments, and he would say, have you ever lied? Have you ever stolen anything? Have you ever looked at a woman lustfully? Have you ever, you know, like, he kind of goes through these things, and the people would inevitably say, well, well, yeah, I've lied. Yeah, I've stolen something. Yeah, I've looked at someone lustfully. And so then this TV character person would say, well, by your own admission, because you've broken at least one of the Ten Commandments, then you're going to spend eternity in hell, burning forever. Do you want to not live in an eternally burning hell and have your sins forgiven? And people would be like, well, yeah, of course, right? Because who wants to burn forever? We don't even like it when it gets hot over 90 degrees here in California. But like, who wants to burn forever? No one. But see, it used to be that at the very least, you could have a conversation about sin. I'm not, by the way, I am, I didn't like what that guy was doing. So I'm just using as an example that sin still had some traction some 25, 30 years ago. But nowadays, if you ask people, most people would say, like, I don't really sin? That sounds too harsh. I don't, I don't know. But as Christians, we understand, like, we, are, we have this sinful nature in us that kind of orients itself to just trying to, to please our own desires, to get what we want. And sometimes we do so at the, 
And, and, and we grieve not only the heart of God, but sometimes we do things and it actually grieves the ones that we love. So in a world that doesn't understand even the part of sin in our lives, then why would anyone want to repent? After all, we're all trying to be good. We're all trying to be moral people. Why do we need to repent? So I would say it this way. Repentance is the Spirit of God awaking in us a need for this turning away from the life that focuses on ourselves and turning toward following Christ and living a life of faithful obedience to God's guidance in our lives. So that's a loaded kind of quote. It has words that in 2019 we don't like to hear, like the word obedience. I mean, we have a hard enough time obeying our parents. And so, when we, and so people will reject kind of the Christian faith because they will say, like, you see, it's just about rules and regulations. But notice, I didn't write anything about rules and regulations. To live a life that orients itself away from just yourself but orients towards Christ. To be a follower of Jesus means that you are following in his footsteps. To obey Christ is not just to look at the Ten Commandments and see when you've done wrong or any of the hundreds of, you know, and the thousands of rules in the Bible, but a life of obedience is one, are you simply saying yes to the Spirit of God on a daily basis? That's what obedience is. Obedience is being willing to follow Jesus. So I want to look at a, at a passage just to show you like the etern- not, all, not, not just because repentance leads towards having a closer relationship with God, but look at what it says in Acts chapter 3. It says, Repent therefore and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Now, Acts, like Acts is like this formative book in Scripture that teaches us about how your predecessors in faith, the early Christian church began. Were they out there on their soapboxes telling people to repent or they're going to die? Like, what does the Scriptures tell us? It says repent. Repent is simply the word to turn away from. Like, repentance is turning away from a selfish way of living and living to serve God in all and everything that you do. And so the Bible says, repent, therefore, and turn to God. Listen, this is, it's just a turning, a readjustment, a recalibration of your life, of your heart and your soul, so that your sins may be wiped out. This is promise. It's turn. It's an invitation. Turn to God and the promise that your sins will be wiped out so that what? Times of, what is the word used there? Times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. Like, just, just think about this. God is inviting you to follow Jesus because he knows that by following Jesus, your soul will be refreshed. How much different is this message than that guy outside the courthouse who was trying to convince me that I was going to burn forever? And I had given my life to Jesus. I was a pastor for crying out loud. Like, I, I had the assurance of salvation, but you see, we turn away from our own lives. You see, we think oftentimes that being a follower of Jesus is, is really hard and it's really difficult and it's really heavy. But in reality, when we turn our lives over to Jesus, what we find is that our soul is refreshed. And you can't really measure how God does things. You can't really say, well, when you've repented of your sin and you're truly sorrowful because you've grieved the heart of the one you love, 
then everything is going to be great. No, but it is this internal cultivation of your soul and your relationship with God, and you will be refreshed. It's the kind of prayer that David prays in Psalm 51, where he, like literally David knows, he's not only sad for the consequences of, his, of the natural like outflow of his terrible decisions, but he knows that he grieved the heart of God. And here's what David says in Psalm 51. This is repentance. He says, have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love. According to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. Notice that he begins like, have mercy. He doesn't even say, I'm sorry. His prayer isn't, God, please forgive me. His prayer is simply, have mercy because I know that what I've done has grieved your heart. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before you. Against you, you alone, have I sinned and done what is evil in your heart and evil in your sight, so that you are justified in your sentence and blameless when you pass judgment. You know, I want you to think even to your own life. Look at your own sin in your life and ask yourselves, have I truly repented because I've grieved the heart of God? Because I've grieved those who I love? Or is it just out of self-preservation? And in this prayer, there's the promise where David says, create in me a clean heart, O God, and put a new and right spirit within me. You see, David doesn't ask to avoid the consequences of his decisions. He simply asks that when God executes his judgment on him, and this is again Old Testament, so it's a little bit different, that God would be merciful, and not just that he would be merciful, but that God would create in him a new heart and a new spirit. Are you guys still trekking with me? Is this heavy? Is it a little like heavier than like my funny jokes that I try to give sometimes? <laughs> good, good. <laughs> but it's important. And this is a hard teaching for us because we don't like to acknowledge ourselves as sinful. We don't like to acknowledge that there is a need for us to repent of our sins. And so I want to look at another text. Isaiah 57 says this, For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity. This is God whose name is holy. God says, I dwell in high and holy places, but also with those who are contrite and humble in spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite. Contrite can mean sad, but it can also mean this penitent heart that is within you. You see, we think that acknowledging our mistakes and our sins is difficult, but I think you would acknowledge this with me, that it's more difficult to try to hold on to the guilt of our own things and trying to hold it in rather than just voicing it to God and allowing God to take over. Do y'all mind if I keep going for a few more minutes? There's an illustration that some of you may know a little bit better than myself, but I think this is it's very um, accurate for what we're going through. There's a story of a businessman who decided that on this one particular day, instead of going to these meetings that he had to go to, he decided that he was going to ditch the office for a day, and go and play golf. He loved golf. He would play golf every single day if he could. And on this one particular day, he had the best day of golfing in his entire life. So much so that he had shot the perfect score better than any day he'd ever shot. He even had a hole in one. 
But he wasn't able to tell anyone because he lied about why he couldn't be at work. He had told his wife that he was going to be at work all day, so he couldn't even tell his wife about the best golfing day he had ever had. And so instead of being able to share this, he instead has to hold on to this. And it was hurting him and heavy because he couldn't express the joy that he felt. Now repentance is, if we follow this metaphor, holding on to the guilt and the shame of your sinful actions and not being able to share that with God or those you love. And we know that if, that if we hold on to things for too long, it, begun, it begins to deaden our soul. It begins to make things harder and we begin to get more bitter in our lives. You see, repentance is Jesus' invitation in your life to be able to release the power of sin in your life. And so the question that we ask is, well, how long does it take for repentance to take place? And so on the, on the one hand, I would say this. Repentance is that one decision of, inv- of accepting the invitation of Jesus to turn away from your life and follow him implicitly and orient your entire life, posture, mind, and soul towards Jesus. That's like repentance, capital R. But then there is this daily repentance, which we could call surrender. And there is this daily acknowledgement that we it is daily acknowledgement that we not only need the Spirit of God, but that we need a double portion of the Spirit of God in our hearts so that God can walk with us in life. Because there are sins in our lives, and, and here's the thing, just because Jesus has died on the cross and he has forgiven you, the Bible says that he has, he has forgiven you and you are justified by faith through grace, which means that when you stand before God as the judge, if, Jesus, if you've accepted Jesus, like, you're sin, like all Jesus see, all God sees is that you are in. That you've accepted Jesus and all he sees is not your sin, but the fact that Jesus is perfect and blameless and without blemish and he died for you. And so all God sees on that one hand is the legal ramifications of Jesus' death, which means that you are entering into eternity with him because you've accepted Jesus. Like, like that's what justification means. But justification does not mean that you now no longer sin in your life. It becomes then this process of a lifelong process of learning to get, to get away from these sinful things in your life and these sinful actions in the sense of this sanctification, this becoming more and more like Christ. And it is only done, not through the power of your own will, because we all know like our self-control is like not that great, but through the power of Christ and the spirit that is in you. And so repentance, little r, is this continual, daily surrender and orientation to asking God to be your guide and a light unto your path. And in a sense, it is asking God to be the navigator of your life. And just to show you that it is a continual thing, we're almost done here. There's this verse in Matthew 3, 8. And here's what it says. Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. To bear fruit is an, is an analogy of a tree that is continuing to bear fruit in and out of season. And so the question might be like, well, have I really repented or have I not? Then you have to look at how you're living your life and the fruit of your life. And so that daily little our repentance 
is are you becoming more and more like Christ? And are you being drawn closer and closer to Jesus? You see, the beautiful thing about repentance, it's not like applying for a loan where you don't know if you're going to get accepted or not. Repentance is Jesus accepts your repentance and everyone qualifies whose heart is open to Christ. You see, what we find is that Jesus is continually inviting you into this relationship. You know, I want you to think of the place, your most favorite place to go. Just think about this for a second. Like if, if someone were to invite you to do this one thing every single day, first of all, just think about what it is and then ask yourselves, what is the answer? So for me, one of the things that I love doing which I haven't done very much in the last couple of years. But I love going to the movie theater. I know that's very taboo for Adventism, but bear with me. I live by grace. I love going to the movie theater, bringing food or buying food from there, and then just enjoying a movie because I love story. We are story people. We love anything with a good story. And that's like my favorite thing to do. So if my, if my best friend... Oh, Kara is my best friend. But if my second best friend <laughs> called me every single morning and said, today, I want to go watch this movie. Do you want to go? I would say yes. Like, I would because we love it. Now think about this. If Jesus who is inviting you into this new way of living, what the Bible calls a newness of life. And what we've seen today is a refreshing of your soul. Basically, you're going to live with this inner peace that can only come from the one who gives the true and eternal peace. If he's inviting you, your only real answer is what? Yes. And so we are making the decision because the Bible teaches free will and God is the reason that we're making that decision because it's irresistible. So yes, we have free will and yes, God is in control and yes, God is inviting all of us. And it doesn't make sense to anyone other than the fact that God loves you so much that he is extending this invitation. And some of you are like, well, I've already been, like, I've already been born again. I've already given my life to Jesus. Great. But are you having a posture of every single day surrendering and say, Father, I repent from who I am. God, make me more like you. And I'll finish with this. The life of faith is this kind of reciprocal like cycle, not reciprocal, the cyclical thing of you surrender to God because God is good and God loves you. And it's kind of like, well, what came first? Do you love God or did God love? Well, it's not even that. Like God loves us first. That's why we love God. But it's this continual journey and this cycle of us being given over to the Spirit because God is good. God is good. And so we give ourselves over to that. And so it's just this continual, continual relationship where the more you give yourself to Jesus, it's only because you've become more aware of God's goodness in your life. And so this morning, the one decision that changes everything is will you accept that invitation of Jesus to follow him and allow him to be the navigator for your life?